So let's start with the text that I preached the night of the business meeting. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. To advance the gospel. The word advance there is a very particular word, and it's one that we've talked about at Louisville before. Since that night, many times I've referred to it, prokope. Prokope is a compound word. P-R-O, pro, on the front of it, means to be out in front, something that's out in front, like proactive, a pronoun. And copto means to cut or to chop down. And so the definition of prokope would be advancement by chopping down whatever impedes progress. So picture pioneers arriving at a shore and they need to clear out a spot to build homes and, and establish um, a community. Picture armies clearing the land, chopping stuff down in order to reach their destination. Now that's the literal meaning, but other pictures came to be used. And these are the ones we're probably more familiar with. A ship making headway in a storm. And so it's making headway, but it's against the storm. Running or biking into the wind. Able to do it, but with the wind coming against. Trying to walk in wind-driven snow. You've been in those storms where you've had to turn around and put your back to the wind, which means back to the snow and walk backwards. The word is also used later in the same chapter. Chapter 1, verse 25, where it says this. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your prokope and joy in the faith. He's making headway and he's staying with them so that he can help them to make headway. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and uh, verse 15, Paul is talking to Timothy about being an example, about giving himself to the scriptures, about exercising gifts. And he says this, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your prokope, your advance against what comes against you. So here's what we take away from those verses. First, the advance of the gospel is the main thing. Too many people, church work is about their own preferences, what they like, what they don't like. Listen, Paul is in prison. There is no benefit for him except the advancement of the gospel. It's all about the gospel for him. It's not about what other churches are doing. And for us, it should not be about what other churches are doing. We are called to this community. The gospel moving forward here is our calling. 
Second thing we notice, by, by virtue of the definition, the advance of the gospel is hard work. Remember, the evil one always opposes the kingdom of God. And so whatever gains we have, the evil one will try to claw them back. Some folk, church folk just want it comfortable. They want, what they, they want what they want when they want it. But I'll tell you what, if it's not hard, it's not biblical. Third thing, not only uh, is the advance of the gospel the main thing, and not only is it hard, but the advance of the gospel is sure. In this text, Paul says, uh, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Some might be more familiar with the name the Praetorian Guard. They were the, the best of the best, if you will, in uh, the Roman army. And they were often tasked with guarding important prisoners, with guarding the emperor, personal bodyguards, that kind of thing. But in this case, Paul says it's become known through the whole Praetorian Guard that his imprisonment is for Christ. He didn't steal anything. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't do anything like that. He is just there for the cause of Christ. And that testimony has become known. So since we know that the gospel is the main thing, and since we know that it's going to be hard work, and since we know that uh, the advance of the gospel is sure, what are the things we faced here at Louisville? And what did God lead us to do to make headway? First, let me tell you about a meeting with Sonny. Sonny grew up in this church. His folks are still here. When I got here, his grandparents were still here. Other family members were here. And since those days, his sister Jill came back from university and she's been here. And we knew we had to transition this ministry. We talked earlier about the fact that we needed to transition the worship. We needed to transition to be friendlier to 20s and 30-year-olds and, and make it a place where they would feel at home. So I set an appointment with Sonny. We kind of disagree on when that happened. It was in that first fall I was here, the fall of 2000. I think it was until the first week of December. Nevertheless, we had a lunch meeting at Mike's on Mountain Road. And uh, I said to Sonny, we need to transition the ministry at Louisville. Will you come home and help us? He was at the time playing at another church. So he says, yes, I'll come home. He was going to have to be a volunteer. This was not a staff position for, for him. But I value that discussion and that partnership almost more than any other partnership here at Louisville. When Sonny and I would get into a room, as the old saying goes, the sum was greater than the sum of the parts. There was something that happened in there. And uh, in the conversations, in the brainstorming, 
there was something. And God gave us some great stuff. And Sonny gave himself as a volunteer long before he was paid staff here. So we agreed on some basic things. We said um, no one would be in the worship team until they were ready. Here's why. Because some will say, oh, well, you know, shouldn't you involve everyone you can? Well, not necessarily. We didn't want to use anyone until they were ready because we knew people were going to complain about the music. They could complain about the style, but not about the quality. We would use a mixed worship. You know, those good old hymns. Did you know that there's great old hymns and there are awful old hymns? Old isn't what makes them great. And in the new music, there's new music that's wonderful. And there's new music that's awful. And we, were, we just committed ourselves to using a mix of those, the old and the new, but we would always discern what was the best of it. The other thing we agreed on was that there was going to be expository preaching. We would always open to one text and endeavor to make that one text clear. Well, we started the transition. And the backlash came. And there were accusations. There were people who used to visit my open office door to stand in that doorway and accuse me of disrespecting history and disrespecting seniors. In fact, I went to one pastor's meeting and a longtime friend of mine, we had worked on projects back in the uh, mid-80s. So we were friends a long time. He said, how's it going? I says, well, you know, we're struggling through. How's it going for you? He says, well, I've got people coming to me telling me about that wicked, wicked pastor down at Louisville who's changing things. So I took it to the deacons. And I said, what do you want to do? Harold Steves was a man who was here for a long time, kind of a pillar of the church here. He leaned forward, he put his finger up almost to the tip of my nose, and he says, don't you back up. This is the right thing. But he wasn't alone. Ed Summers, who's also gone to be with the Lord now, and Charlie's father, Sonny's grandfather, said, well, this music is not my style but this is the right thing to do. Keep going. Frank Balser, who's still a part of things here, was supportive. Norris Parley was a real support. In fact, one night we were in a, a deacon's meeting and we were planning a, a Christmas program and we were trying to do a drama uh, and the choir music, but with 
the band involved. So it was going to be the band, the choir, and drama. And there just wasn't enough room on that old stage in the sanctuary for that all to happen. And so someone said, well, isn't there something we could do with that stage? And Norris Parley, he was the first one to ever mention it. He said, not without using a bulldozer. Here's the thing. And here's why I tell you all those stories. Leadership is crucial. Without those men being supportive, the changes would have stopped and I would have left. I can only pray that when I am 70 years old plus, that I will be cheering on change for the sake of the gospel. Well, we were told that 40 people would leave if we continued with the changes. Well, it wasn't that many, but people left. A few other things happened in those days. Let me tell you the stories. I went home about our second or third weekend, and uh, Louisville was a very, well, I'd have to call it a stuffy place in those days. People greeted one another with a, a stiff handshake. And I went home and I said to Rosalie, these people need a hug. So the next Sunday, an older lady came out to the door we had done a funeral for her husband a week or two before. She was looking sad, lonely, and I just said, can I give you a hug? She said, yes. I gave her a hug. The next week she comes to the door, but now she's looking back and forth this way and that like she's selling bogus Rolexes on the street. And she says to me, can I have another hug? I said, sure, and I hugged her. The lady behind her in line said, can I have one too? Well, of course you can. I hugged her. Well, pretty soon I was hugging everybody. Men, women, old, young. Just showing them love. Claude and Helen Taylor were a couple. They had both served in uh, the armed forces during World War II. They were in the choir. They were heavily involved here. The Taylor family has a history here as well. And I remember Claude coming up to me, and I was giving Helen a hug at the door, and he went, I'm watching you hug my wife. <laughs> the second thing that happened was... Uh, we were doing a lot of funerals. In those first years, we would do anywhere from 10 to 20 funerals a year. At this point, it's 108 funerals. I used to often call Ramona Mitchell and say, Ramona, the family would like to have a reception and they'd like to have it at Louisville. Can you look after that? 
And Ramona would say yes, and she would not only work hard, but she would call other people to get them to bring sandwiches and squares. After a couple of funerals, she came to me and she said, Pastor, I, I want you to do something for me. She said, anytime a family asks, just say yes. I'm telling you now, I will do them. And so I had the freedom when I met with a grieving family and they would say, well, how are we going to get a, a reception together? I'd say, that's all right, we'll look after it. Huge for the ministry. And one more story. We needed a youth pastor. And we were doing interviews. And one of our women who'd served in youth ministry came to me and said, Gord, how are we going to know which one is the right one? Well, I'd been a youth pastor for a lot of years. And when I was asked to, to give talks and do some teaching, I would always say, number one thing, you got to love the kids. And they'll know if you're being honest with them. They'll know if you mean it. So we did our interviews. And so I just said to her, so, um, you know, it's going to have to be someone who will love the kids. Got to have that. So we did some interviews that morning, three of them. The third one was Brent Foster, who became our youth pastor. And at the end of the interview, someone asked him, what's the first, what's the most important thing you're going to do as youth pastor here, if you're the one? And he said, I'm going to love these kids to death. And I looked over at this lady and we made eye contact and her mouth came open and we knew we had our guy. Brent was the first one who was just youth pastor. No other jobs, youth was important for us. There were times there were a hundred kids in this gymnasium. We're in the gym. There were a hundred kids. The main thing is the advance of the gospel. It's the only thing we're here for. There are other things that are products of grace encouraging one another, loving one another, carrying one another's burdens. But the only real reason we're still here is the gospel of Christ in this community. The gospel is the main thing. The gospel work is hard, but it will result in a testimony. So how did all this opposition and the the blowback and all of that come to an end. Well, we were in a business meeting. My stomach used to churn when I came to business meetings because we knew there was always going to be someone finding fault. Well, this one had a bit of a blow up. And at the end, my wife was at the back of the church. She was cornered and being verbally attacked. 
And I was in a conversation at the front of the old sanctuary, and I just said, excuse me, I've got to take care of something. And I headed for the back. And with that, these folks turned on their heels and ran out the door. People announced that they were leaving, and they did. The next Sunday, a longtime friend of mine, I'd known her a while, she grew up here at Louisville. She came to me after service at the front of the old sanctuary and she said, isn't it nice just to worship and be in the word? Yes, yes it is. Some have said, if you'd said that the changes and the new direction would have been done in four years, they would have thought you to be crazy. Well, God did it. He freed us for ministry. Thanks be to God, he was procopying us, moving us forward with the gospel in this community. What a joy to watch. Thanks, we'll see you next week.